So last week's message, I was talking about being dissatisfied and discontent. And the message was so big in me, and I couldn't wait to deliver it, and I made reference to the fact that I'd, I'd had this inside, um, prepared, ready to go for like a month. It was just so excited. And, and as I'm going through, and I'm explaining everything that went over last week, and as we got up to the place, I ran out of time before I even got to the good part of the message. And so I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, do I need to rush through all the scriptures? And I just really felt the peace that it was going to be a two-part message. So this morning we're going to recap, and then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story, if you will, to quote Paul Harvey from my childhood growing up. So last week we talked about, if you'll remember, the the reminder that um, we'd seen a message from Pastor Chris Hodges the week before on depression, and mental illness is one of those things that that just it, it, everyone faces and everyone goes through and everyone struggles with some things and, and the devil is always attacking all of us. And so we have to try to step outside of that to be ready for what comes at us. So if you know an attack is coming, you can be better prepared so when it comes, you can not be taken out by it. And I told you last week, one of the tools of the devil is to shift our focus on what it should be onto our actual circumstances and to be dissatisfied with life in general. I also went on to say that comparison leads to a blurred vision and it allows you to have distortion, which ends up in discontentment. So as we talked about all that stuff last week, we also hit the same scripture, and I'm not re-preaching last week's message, I'm just trying to catch you up here, but my favorite scripture, if I'm talking to anybody, if I'm, if I'm ministering in anything, this scripture almost always invariably comes up, John 10.10, 10, where Jesus says, there's two different things going on. The enemy has come to rob, kill, and destroy you, but I have come to give you life to the full. And I'm always talking about that life to the full and how is it that we're going to find that life to the full. We looked at a couple of scriptures and, and I'm not going to go back over them, but the one that I just really jumped out at me is Galatians 6, 9. Don't let us become weary in well-doing for in the proper time we will reap. We will reap. We always are going to reap. Regardless of what it is we're sowing, we're going to reap. So if we're sowing bad things, we're going to reap bad things. If we're sowing good things, we are going to reap good things. Whatever you're sowing, you will reap. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time for that to come up. But I want you to now think and shift into where we're heading now. And that is your perspective. And, and the songs that we sang this morning, and as I mentioned, we, we re-sang the song from last week because we had so much going on this week and transitioning the church. But it really was what I believe was the message for this message and how they all tied in. And that is to open the eyes of our heart, Lord. And I want us to think about perspective. And I mentioned that at the very beginning, that perspective, if we get it off of God and we get it onto our problems, then we're going to be discontent because our problems are always going to look bigger than what we are. And they're going to always look like they can't be solved. And they're going to always look like they're going to overtake us. 
I also mentioned last week that we went to an ARC meetup with all the other ARC churches and pastors in this area, and one of them talked about something, a book that he read about going up the middle, and it's not about making all of the grandiose things where you can launch the football down there, and it's the, the weighted moment that, is it going to go, is it going to go, is this, it's either the yay or the no, it's one of those things, no, but it, one of the number one ways that people end up in the Hall of Fame, the one thing that makes Game changers is going up the middle and getting those one or two yard advances. That you get these little small things that look like, man, why in the world are you doing that? You didn't get anything off that. You just barely moved it just a little bit. And and I have to confess, when I first started watching football and trying to understand it, and I had Andrew there beside me trying to explain it to me because he loves it, and I'm sitting there trying to figure it all out. I couldn't understand why they kept running it up the middle. It's like, you know that's where all the people are. You know that's where all the opposition is. You know that's where everybody's going to try and stop you. That's where the big guys are trying to hurt you are. But we see that the small victories of going up the middle is what changes. But isn't that the same way with us? We see things that are such small steps, such small miracles, such small victories and we, th- we tend to minimize them and say, oh, that was really nothing. Or I wish it was this big, grandiose thing. But it's really in the small victories. This, this past week, um, actually last week now, um, someone that's in my garden, my, I tell you about uh, Lenore and I have our gardens, and I hope you have your gardens too. That's the place that you know God's got you to be shining a light and to be there intentional and trying to, to, to help them. Well, this, this past week, someone in my um, garden went for a probation check-in and just thought everything was going to be in and out. In fact, she'd asked me to drive her over there, and it was this big whole thing, and I got a call. I wasn't able to drive her, and I got a call that afternoon when I woke up from sleeping, from working all night, that when her mom went to do her check-in, they arrested her. So the single mom is that she went in and just thinking everything's going to be normal and just go in and just walk through the steps. And she got in there and they arrested her for violation of probation. She hadn't finished all of her little steps. And and she was so frustrated and the girls were all frustrated and they're all scared and their mom's the only thing they have in this world at all. And they're like, what are we going to do? And this sense of desperation, they asked me to go help them, which of course I did. We drove all the way over to Fort Worth and jumped through all the bail bond stuff, and I had to learn all that stuff for Texas, and it, it took over 24 hours for her to get out in the whole process, and, and I went back over when she got out and picked her up, and, and she made this comment to me, and she says, you know, she goes, I thought I had bad problems and the struggles that I had in my life. She said, but there's nothing like going to jail to change your perspective. And, and she had no idea what my message was going to be about. She had no idea what I was just going over. And as I said, it was for a month that was already in there. But her comment to me made me think it's the same thing. That when you get around these other bad situations, it brings your focus into where it needs to be. And not sometimes how, how terrible is my life or woe is me or I wish this was better. I wish, I wish it was that long football throw that's just the p- touchdown pass and everything, you rah, 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 and it's all wonderful. But sometimes we need that reality check for ourselves. That it's the small victories, that small step that looks inconsequential to us certainly looks inconsequential to everyone else. 
As I mentioned last week, we, we saw in previous weeks about the prodigal son. And as he's sitting there and he's thinking everything's going great and give me my money, dad, and let me just go out and just, I'm going to win the world. I, I can conquer the world by myself. And he, his perspective changed. And all of a sudden he's in the middle of this pig slop, the, the, the soured milk, the nasty stuff that you don't want to even want in your house anymore is what the pigs are eating. And that started looking good to him. Think about that shift from being in the high place, sitting at the big table, to now thinking that slop looks good. I think about people who complain about their job, and, and they think that, you know, I, I don't like my job, I'm, i, I got to find another job because I don't like this one, and this one's just not exactly what I want, but there's somebody out there who would love your job. There's somebody out there that that would be the answer to their problem, but isn't that the same way? The job that you're wanting, someone else may be complaining with. And I heard someone say an analogy a long time ago. The bank president has big, big problems. He has tremendous problems with the, with the rate of the investments going up and down and all this stuff. But he makes a big salary. So I know many people who'd like his big salary to be able to handle his big problems. But sometimes we don't look at that. And our perspective shifts from where it should be to our problems. We don't see things as they truly are, and we certainly do not see things as God sees them. If you'll open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to start reading a story that's just, it's fascinating to me because I love thinking about the things that are not seen. And there's a book written several years ago um, by Frank Peretti on um, this present darkness. And then the next one, there's a sequel, Piercing the Darkness. If you've never read them, it's just fabulous. I, I read it on the road and, and I started, and I don't like to read that much anymore. And I just, when I was younger, I liked to read a lot, but then I kind of got away from it. And, and I started reading this book and I could not put this book down. I stayed up all night when we're on the road. I knew I could sleep while we're driving, but you know, I read this thing all the way. It was just like, my mind was blown. But he kind of talked about the things that you can't see but are really there. In 2 Kings chapter 6, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. So we have these warring nations going on here. And after conferring with his officers, they're doing strategy. He says, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. So they're like, okay, we're going to go over here. And you, you've probably seen some World War II movie or something. So you got the, the big map over there and you got the little pointers out here. Like, okay, we're going to do this. And you, you got all these plans going on. Verse 9, then the man, man of God would send word to the king of Israel. Hey, watch out because they're going to go over here. So here the enemy is. He's saying, hey, this is what our plans are. And God's whispering it to Elijah. He says, hey, they're about to go over here. And Elijah goes to the king of Israel and says, hey, king, watch out because they're going to go over here. Now, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like if somebody's laying a trap for you, that, that the man of God would come to you and say, hey, watch out, because someone's laying a trap for you right there, and you need to be watch. So you're going over here to this city, and they're going to come this way. Watch out. They're going to do that. And so time and time and again, where they thought they had their best laid plans for getting the king of Israel, 
in the nation of Israel and defeating them, when they got there, their best solution, nothing was there. He got so frustrated. And I'm going to get through it. I'm not going to read the entire story. Go, go read it later if you want to. I mean, it's, it's a fabulous, crazy story. They're all getting upset, and they think they have a snitch. Now, wouldn't that be what you think? Wouldn't you think that there's somebody in that room that's hearing, we're going to go such and such a place, and they're running out and go, you know, they're sending a text from inside the room. Hey, they're going to go over here. Is that not what you think in the natural? You think this is what's going on. So the king gets really, really mad, as you can imagine. Verse 12, he's yelling at them saying, find who it is. And this is their reply. He goes, It's none of us, my lord, the king, one of the officers said, but it is Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. He tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, our bedroom is supposed to be the most sacred, holy place that nothing ever leaves there. It's just like this place that's your safe zone. And he's saying, hey, listen, God hears everything that's going on. And the king of Israel is hearing from the man of God everything you say anywhere, even in your bedroom. There's no safe, there's no safe place. So the logic thing for the king is, verse 12, 13, go and find where he is so that I can send men and capture him. Now, does that make any sense to you? Here, he's going, let's go over here and here and here. And they start doing it. And Elisha hears from God they're doing this. And he makes plans to go the other way for the king. What makes him think that when he says, where is he? Let's go capture him. That God's not going to tell him that either. But people don't think logically all the time. And that is hilarious to me. So the report came back to he's in Dothan. So they found out where he is, and now they send, verse 14, horses and chariots at a strong force there. That's crazy funny to me. As if when God hears everything that's going on, he tells Elisha, who tells the king of Israel, that, that these horses and chariots and a strong force, couldn't just make it happen in my own strength, can go. And they went by night, and they surrounded the city. But isn't that just like us, that we think that we can do it on our own? It's like, God, I see that you're working in this area, but I'm just going to use my own strength, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make this happen this way. (laughs) So they surrounded the city. Verse 15, now when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning, can you see? He's out there. He's got his bathrobe on. He's got his cup of coffee. He's going out to get the paper. And as he reached out and picked the paper up, he looks around, and the whole place is surrounded all the way around. He's going, uh, uh, we have a problem. He went out, and it was surrounded by uh, with the horses and the armies and the chariots. And this is his response. This is Elisha's servant. He says, oh no, what shall we do? Now he spent all this time serving Elisha, but he hasn't still tapped into the spirit. He's just still in the, I'm taking the steps to walk out. I'm doing this over here. I'm serving him. That's all good. But he hasn't translated from what is the works of the flesh necessary even into the works of the Spirit to understand what God is doing. He's saying, oh no, 
But doesn't that mean you? We see something coming our way and we go, ah, how am I going to get out of this one? What am I going to do? I love verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha said. Don't be afraid. If there's nothing you get out of this message this morning, I want it to be those three words. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Can't you just see the dichotomy here of of the servant who's just looking at the natural? And he says, dude, we're surrounded. It's me and you. It's just us-ins. And and what are we going to do? Oh, no, that that fear that paralyzes you. Like, (gasps) And Elisha says, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. But now there's this interesting thing he says. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Don't you imagine his servants going, it's me and you. Who is this us that you're talking about? All of these people that are with us. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed. And I love that Elisha prayed. He didn't just spout it out, but he said to God, he prayed. He goes, open his eyes so that he may see. We sang this morning, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Let me see it. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That, we, that God will open our eyes that we see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw. And he saw the hills full of the chariots of fire all around Elisha. So while they're surrounded all the way around, when God opened his eyes, he saw in the unseen world... The chariots of fire, it was full. So as much as that natural army was there, it was way more surrounded by heavenly hosts that are just there. Chariots of fire. I mean, they're just like, they're just got fire just ripping off of them because they don't even know how to explain it other than to say that. And I don't really even know how to describe that anymore too, but it's baffling, but it's just like overwhelming. (laughs) Verse 18. As the enemy came down towards him, so this whole stage is set there. It's early in the morning, it's daybreak, and and they're all set, they're ready to go, and they don't know what's behind them. They start, now here we go, he's in Dothan, we're going to go get him. He's here, and and they're out there going, oh, look at that, well, look at what's behind them. (laughs) Elisha simply comes out and prays again. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Elisha's now having fun with this army. You're going to see the rest of the story. It's crazy. It just makes me crack up because I know the rest of the story and it just makes me laugh. Elisha's not moved by what he sees because he's tapped into the spirit realm. He's not getting petrified. Now, I want to draw an analogy that Elisha is the servant of Elijah. We looked at that a few weeks ago, and that's a great thing to go and study. But Elijah, even Pastor Chris mentioned this, was, did these great miracles. And he had all the, the, uh, the false prophets come out there, and he did this whole great thing. And then one queen and one king says, hey, we're going to take your head off. And Elijah went running for the hills. 
Elisha now learned from Elijah's struggles, and he tapped into the spirit realm. So where one king made a comment that Elijah, by tomorrow you're dead, you're going to be dead, here this other king sent after Elisha, he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to look at all the armies that are surrounding me, that are surrounding me. I'm going to look to God, and he's the great God. He's done all these great things. This is nothing for him. And I don't know if Elisha could see the host of angels that are around there, if his faith was just so much there. We sang a song last week. That is, is, I love this little chorus that says, It may look like I'm surrounded, but God, I'm surrounded by you. It may look in the natural like I'm surrounded, like no matter where I look or all the way around me, if they're coming after me, they're coming to get me. But open our eyes, God. Because it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go that you're not right there, that your hand is right there with a way out? That song goes on to say, this is how I fight my battles. I fight my battles by worshiping you. By saying, God, you're the great king. Open the eyes of my heart that I can see you. I come to worship you, God. In all that I do. We all have battles. My question to you this morning is, how do you fight your battles? Are you like the servant of the man of God who's, who's doing the right things? He's in church. He's, he's always working. He's always doing these things. But he hadn't made this transition from the carnal, from seeing just the things that are naturally there that you can see with your own two eyes to seeing things in the Spirit. How do you fight your battles? Is it all just you? Is it just you doing it the way that you know how? This is just, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I, don't, need, I don't need God. I don't need, I don't need, I'm just going to keep doing what I think. What would have happened if Elijah had freaked out like the servant? When the servant's going, oh no, and Elisha goes, oh no. What would have happened? He goes on to say, and, and you can read the rest of that, that scripture. I'm not going to take us all there because for sake of time, it's a great story. He ends up, when they're blind, saying, hey, he runs out there and goes, hey, what are you all here looking for? Oh, we're looking for the man of God. Oh, he's down in the city. I'll take you to him. <laughs> God struck them with blindness. They couldn't see nothing. So this whole army and these strong forces, they follow Elisha, the guy they're looking for, into town. Takes them right in front of the king. And then he prays that God will open their eyes again. And now all of a sudden their blindness is gone and they can now see everything that's going on. And they're like, ah! Where they had been surrounding Elisha, now they're surrounded by the army of Israel. And the king of Israel asked Elisha, what should I do? He goes, feed them well. Take good care of them and send them back. It's a great, great story. But I'm going to ask you, how do you fight your battles? Realize that what you see with your eyes is not reality. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? You see, we can get so caught up in our day-to-day in, in our struggles that are real, in our struggles that are legitimate, and the, the army was surrounding them. The servant wasn't wrong. 
he just didn't have his focus in the right place. How do you fight your battles? Let me ask you this morning. How are you with God? Would you say God is my refuge? He's the one I run into, and when I I have these things come against me, I just keep my focus on him, and I worship him. That's how I fight my battles. Would you say that I'm far from God, and I really don't think God wants to hear anything from me? Maybe you'd say, I once had a close relationship with God. For whatever reason, today, eh, not so much. God is still there. His hand is still outstretched, ready to help all of us. In the same way, when we're surrounded, we can tie and reach up into him and say, God, it may look like I'm surrounded, but even when I don't see it, I know I'm surrounded by you because your word is true and your promises are sure. If that's you this morning, and you'd say that I'm not fully where I want to be, whether you're in the room with us here, whether you're watching online, you're watching after the fact, you may be watching months from now, the Spirit of God is still there. I want to invite you to pray this prayer, to follow me in this prayer this morning. Simply say, Jesus, thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to. Today's my day. I choose you. I invite you into my life and I ask you to forgive me. I come just as I am. Friend, isn't it great that you don't have to clean everything up and get everything perfect to come to God? Say this. Say, I surrender it all to you. And the best way I know how, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Today I give you my life. God, I thank you that we don't have to be perfect, that we can make more mistakes than we make good choices. And you're so patient with us. You're so kind. But Lord, this message this morning and last week, God, I pray that it will just burn down deep inside of us that our perspective isn't on what we can see, But Lord, we keep our perspective on you. Lord, this is how I fight my battles. That I run to you. That I look to you, Lord. Whenever I need wisdom, I go to your word. Lord, when I'm feeling fear coming upon me, when I feel like I'm surrounded all around me, God, that I will go and put a worship song on. That I will run to you. It may look like I'm surrounded. When I get in worship, I'm surrounded by you. God, thank you for giving us this great opportunity to know you. Thank you for what you're doing here. Father, we give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.